This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he's so, so happy with all of his new Zenda cards. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, I was trying to organize a hide-and-seek tournament, but man, good players are so hard to find. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Matt, uh, I know exactly where you are. You weren't all that hard to find at all. I was not Uh, hard to find at all. uh, uh, I see what you did there. I Uh, found it. (laughs) All with love, Matt. All with love. Uh, anyway, next, he's the guy who's having a bit of a moment of zen, Dakar. That's Dana Roach. Um, as Commander Legends is getting closer and closer, um, and the thought of reviewing a set with 80 Legends is getting kind of real, um, I think we need to talk off air about the podcast vacation policy, um, but we can just <laughs> deal with that later on because I might be unavailable that week. Yep, yep. Noted, Dana. Definitely noted. That is going to be a very exciting, but also a very big set to get to. Yes, anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little bit more context. Hey, fellas, what is it that we're talking about this week? We're going to look over the data that we've been getting in already and talk about some of these popular Zendikar cards. <laughs> that we are. Yeah, the most popular cards from Zendikar Rising. We wanted to kind of just take a quick look back at it and see kind of where things have fallen a little bit. But before we get there, we do have to give a huge, huge thank you to Josh LeQuay and the entire team at the Command Zone podcast. They handle all of the post-production work on our podcast here as well, making it look as spiffy as it does. It's such great work. So thank you guys so much. And of course, we have to thank our sponsors for the show too. Well, our great sponsors, TCGPlayer.com and CardKingdom.com, both help bring the show to all of you listeners and viewers out there in YouTube and podcast land. If you go to EDHREC and there's a card you think about, you can simply click on either the Card Kingdom link or the TCG Player link, and it'll take you right to the vendor of your choice, and you can purchase those cards and support the podcast in the process. Uh, so if you want as well, you can also go to cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC and support it directly that way as well. Either way, you can't go wrong. Our vendors 
are great. Our sponsors are great. So make sure you check them out, cardkingdom.com and tcgplayer.com. You can also support the cast by going to patreon.com slash edhreccast. We have a handful of different Patreon levels, ranging from a shout-out on the air to an invite to our Discord, uh, a chance to offer up a challenge to stats for an actual show. You can get early access to shows, and you can even get some really sweet EDH Reccast merch. We have channels for pet pictures. We have channels for dad jokes. Um, I think the dad jokes one is the most important, but there's Indeed. also deck, deck discussion. There's all kinds of stuff. So EDHRecCast at Patreon.com. Absolutely. And of course, Dana, like you mentioned, we do shout out one of our patrons every episode to thank you so much for your support. And our patron for this episode is Blake Carbone. Blake, thank you so much for supporting the show. We appreciate you so much. We appreciate all our patrons. Blake, this one's for you. I think it's Blake Carboni. It's Italian. Ah, okay. I don't know what to do with that information, but I appreciate your insight. I just wanted to let you know that he could be associated with the Soprano family. Oh, oh my. So we better watch out and just say things. I better learn how Thanks, to pronounce Mike. names better is what I think is, is what we're learning. So anyway, let's get on to our main topic. We're going to be talking about the most popular Zendik cards, the cards from Zendikar that have shown up so far in the most decks according to what we're seeing on EDH Rec. And it should be a whole lot of fun. We've got a bunch of, you know, those spell lands to get through, a bunch of legends to get through, and a bunch of other stuff just to see where it's falling within decks. So yeah, it should be a whole lot of fun. But man, looking over this data, I forgot how many legendary creatures there are in this set. There are 19 legendary creatures in this set. That feels like a lot. Like, I think Ikoria had like 21 and it's just, it's been like, I've been getting a lot of legends and sets recently, guys. Have you noticed that? It's been big numbers. I feel like that's not an accident here in the uh, year of Commander. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There was a graph that was shared on Twitter recently that showed just how many commanders have been put into sets the past couple years. And the number definitely has skyrocketed. Uh, like you said, Dana, it's the year of Commander. And I think once Wizards of the Coast took notice that Commander was a very popular format, uh, we definitely made our way into kind of the overall design process of a lot of these sets. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just kind of funny because I remember like precons used to be one of the ways that we would get a huge boost of numbers. And I also just kind of remember the days, like remember when we used to get like six legends a set, like it's just it almost feels like a completely a long the land before time is what that kind of feels like uh so that i don't know movie is older than you are you you <laughs> cannot make that reference i can make that reference i also reference other lots of movies are older than i am anyway okay let's get into the main topic before matt can derail me any further we're going to start off with the top five most popular legendary creatures from zendikar rising matt how about you start us off who is showing up as the number one most popular commander from the new set Well, the number one most popular commander is also probably the number one most hated card in standard right now, and that is Omnath (laughs) Locus of Creation. So that is the red, green, white, and blue version of Omnath that we have coming out now. Uh, It's a 4-4 with a whole host of abilities. When Omnath enters the battlefield, you draw a card, and then whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you gain four life the first time, then you add... Uh, red, green, white, and blue mana to your mana pool the second time, and the third time it deals four damage to each opponent and each Planeswalker you don't control. Uh, Omnath picked up a fourth color and a fourth wave of hatred and vitriol (laughs) coming from the standard players, but commander players, we seem to like it all right. Um, Showing up in 458 decks so far, which is a pretty good number considering the set has been out for a few weeks only. So what do you guys think about Omnath? One of the things we've talked about in the past is the factors that make a commander popular, and the more of those factors exist, the more popular it tends to be, the more quadrants it can kind of hit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in this case, we're talking about a commander that 
is strong and people know it's strong because it's so good in standard. So you kind of have some um, some notoriety already from the get go that it's that it's useful. It's strong in CEDH, so you have people there that are building it as a powerful combo commander. It's effective in casual commander just just in general. It isn't broken either, so it doesn't necessarily scare people in casual commander. It's just a it's just an effective card there. It's a kind of a meme character at this point after four different variants of Omnas. It's, it's, it kind of has mm-hmm. notoriety because of that. Um, Landfall is popular mechanic. Zendikar is a popular world. There's just a whole bunch of different ways this is the kind of card that sticks in people's consciousness. And I think we're seeing that based on the absurd amount of decks we're seeing built with it compared to uh, everything else in the list. Well, and you actually missed a factor there, Dana. I mean, yeah, we are seeing an absurd number compared to the other things. Like Omnath is more than twice as popular as the as like the second place commander from the data that we're seeing so far. But another factor there is that this is an alternative for a four color blacklist right. deck yeah. that isn't Kaneos and Tiro, which does have a bit of a group hub vibe going on. So this is a Another four, like the only other four color commander that they made since Commander 2016. And that also boosts it with some uniqueness in addition to the popularity of Landfall. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going in its favor. And we're seeing a whole lot of new cards and some interesting things form out on its page Mm -hmm. as well. Like, I think a lot of folks were kind of interested to see where some of the white Landfall cards might fall for Omnath. It's kind of interesting to see that not too many of them have necessarily like admonition angel for example that's an interesting white landfall card but it's kind of only showing up in like less than a quarter of them so far because it's got triple white and that's just going to be a little bit difficult and it's just kind of funny to see that like emiria shepherd is another one and it's also kind of like ah you know kind of like there's some popularity for that but it is still like you're competing against a very crowded field here there's a lot of landfall stuff to do and omneth trying to put all of them into a single deck is a bit of a tall ask so you've got a lot of push and pull going on in this particular commander's page for sure uh, yeah, that's definitely a thing worth noting here is despite being a four-color deck, it really isn't playing for the most part like a four-color deck. It's right. still kind of playing like a, a teamer or even the girl variant just in terms of what cards are involved because there's so many good landfall cards. <laughs> there really are. There absolutely are. Yeah, so Omnath is blowing everyone else out of the water, but let's see who else is still treading water there too because we've got some good numbers on some other folks here too. Dana, who's next? Who's in second place? Uh, um, up next, we have Anawan the Ruin Thief. Um, which is the the second coming of Anawan as well. Uh, legendary creature, vampire, rogue for four mana. And other rogues you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever one or more rogues you control deals combat damage to a player, that player mills a card for each one damage dealt to them. Uh, and if the player mills at least one creature card this way, you draw a card. So again, you're dealing with an established lore character. Um, you're doing something with Rogue Tribal, which is people tend to like tribal decks, and there hasn't been a ton of support in the past for it. You've got some mill interaction here as well. It's hitting multiple quadrants, so um, not at all necessarily surprising to see this one doing pretty well. Yeah, and having the Rogue on there too, the Rogue creature type, that feeds in a lot to the tribal aspects that mm-hmm. I think we maybe undersold when we first you know, considered Anawan a little bit. It seems that people are latching onto Anawan quite a bit just for that too. So always having some sort of tribal synergy. You talk about uh, the red-green Omnath, for example, that has a lot of tribal synergies. So that obviously gets a boost in addition to already what's going on on the card. So anytime you tie on some sort of random tribal synergy, it's going to help the numbers a decent amount. I I do think also when people see the words draw a card on a commander, 
people are going to build yeah. it. I think just in yeah. that, that that does a lot of work as well. Yeah, I can totally get behind that. Yeah, seeing a lot of fun stuff for uh, N1, but as a tribal deck, it is also, in some cases, I would say, the deck kind of builds itself, as we often see with tribal decks. They have a lot of uniformity between each other. Um, not like super versatile, I guess, because there are, at the end of the day, only so many rogues that you can play, but you do still have a lot of fun stuff that you can do with them, like Notorious Throng, for example, which can give you an extra turn if you have a whole bunch of rogues that are sneaking in to deal some damage. So it definitely is turning out to be a very sneaky deck. And I think this is also bolstered by the fact that Anawan is a pre-con commander. So like as a pre-packaged deck, we almost always see a really big boost in numbers for pre-con commanders because they are just so easy to grab and put a deck together, like so simply, boom, you just got it right there as opposed to you opened a commander in a pack and then you have to go out of your way to find all of the other 99 cards too and then make that basically from scratch compared to having a, a pre-composed product. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense here. Alrighty, let's move on to number three. This is Ashaya Soul of the Wild showing up as the third most popular commander from Zendikar Rising. She's got about 131 decks to her name. This is the mono green elemental whose uh, power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control and who also makes all of your non-token creatures in two forests in addition to their other types. So this is a really, really fascinating one that I will admit I was kind of like, ah, I don't know, shaky on when I first saw it. But Matt, I think you convinced me that this is actually a pretty interesting card, not least because it can turn all of your creatures into landfall drops, which is really, really crazy. Um, but the popularity is bearing it out, not just within the 99 of other landfall decks, but as an actual commander itself, it is showing up as the number three most popular commander from Zendikar Rising. Well, I'm, I'm glad you came around to agree with me. I don't care about the, the stats here the the data it's that doesn't matter but my my opinion is is important here of course of, of course um but no Ashaya actually it, it is kind of encouraging to see 131 people already building these decks so far uh it, it's really interesting because monocolor commanders we've seen typically aren't towards the top of the popularity mm -hmm. list when it comes to kind of predicting how popular commander is going to be in relation to other commanders in the set. Multicolor commanders typically will get a little bit more attention because it opens the deck up a little bit more. So seeing a mono grain commander at the number three slot here, uh, it's kind of encouraging. It really, I think it speaks to how powerful Ashaya can be built, uh, having so many land drops and then just Ashaya getting enormous because all your creatures then make Ashaya even bigger. I think it's a, an interesting deck. I don't know if I'm going to build it personally, but I do like seeing this towards the top, if only because seeing monocolor commanders being fairly popular is something that I always enjoy seeing. And I can agree on that point. The monocoloredness is definitely, you know, notable because, like you said, it doesn't usually happen. But I am going to postulate something that I don't think will make you all that happy, so I apologize. Um, but one of the things that I might be appealing about Ashaya, I think, is similar to the appeal of Prime Speaker Vanifar as well. So we might see Ashaya plateau for this reason because it might become a quote-unquote solved deck for similar reasons of combo. Ashaya is proving to be an actually pretty impressive combo machine as well because Turning your creatures into lands allows you to do some crazy stuff with like Magus of the Candelabra, for example, which is itself a forest and can untap itself with its ability so you can get like infinite mana. Or Aquarian Ranger is another one. It can like tap for mana and Ashaya for mana, return itself, untap Ashaya, you replay the Aquarian Ranger and repeat and you get a whole bunch of mana that way. So we are actually seeing some infinite combo builds that aren't just some honest landfall goodness with Ashaya. We've got some combo stuff going on here. And if the deck becomes quote unquote solved because of those 
those streamlined combo directions and those different lines of gameplay, that might also affect its numbers like we've seen with other commanders that plateaued. Yeah, I, I, I very much agree with that, Joey. I, I think it's a very strong commander. I do think the popularity is capped for the all the reasons you mentioned. And the additional note I will make here is you, you talked about Prime Speaker Vanifar. At least there's probably nothing else that kind of does that in in those colors, that particular combo. I think Ashai is maybe competing a little bit if you're looking to do that with something like Silvala, Heart of the Wilds, oh. Bro Storm, which does a very similar thing mm-hmm. um, yeah. and maybe does it better even. So I think you're, you're looking at something that might wind up being fairly easily solved and is also competing with another deck that does a very similar thing that's also semi-solved. Yeah, and that competition might free one of them up to not have to do combo as much. Sure. We'll definitely see how the data turns out. But for now, this is what we're seeing for Ashaya, and it's uh, pretty interesting, exciting. And Matt, you still have made me come around on Ashaya, so I hope I didn't bum you out too much with my, my uh, postulation. No, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> okay. Uh, and hey, tell us about our number four. Who's next in line of popularity? So this one I don't think is as solved, but it's still pretty straightforward. It's Akiri Fearless Voyager. She is a Boros commander, a 3-3 core warrior. Whenever a creature, or excuse me, whenever you attack a player with one or more equipped creatures, draw a card. There's your Boros draw attack draw card clause. Uh, you can also pay one white. You may unattach an equipment from a creature you control. If you do, tap that creature and it gains indestructible until end of turn. Seems like a pretty decent Boros commander, if you ask me. Ties in a lot with the equipment themes that people like to do in Boros colors. 113 decks so far. Where do you guys take on a Curie? Um, I like the commander. I think it's competing a little bit with multiple things that do something semi-similar in the same colors. Um and you can never tell how that's going to play out. That that mm-hmm. could wind up being a thing where people don't want to build the commander because they have a similar deck or they convert their existing deck to this and then convert it back. So this is one I think might take us some time to kind of see where it eventually shakes out. It's funny here because Akiri is competing against herself. There's also the right. Akiri Line Slinger. And mm-hmm. one of my best buddies has an Akiri and Bruce Tarl deck. And I can't express how much of a house that combination happens to be. It can end you very, very quickly, even with some minor, minor equipment. And that is one of the strengths of equipment as like just a deck archetype is that they will slam one person's out. Boom, the next person's out. They really do like to attack one person at a time. And the new Akiri kind of wants you to spread the love a little bit you're not packing a bunch of equipment onto one creature if you do she'll only draw you one card but if you have lots of creatures that have equipment on them you can attack your opponent then you'll draw more cards i guess my hesitation with the new akiri is like the pursuit of card draw is certainly a good one but it might be a distraction in some cases where you could just be going for like actual significant power instead and you don't need to focus too much on the card draw because it may slow down what equipment decks are actually really good at still really like the commander but it is competing against itself in a very funny way it is worth mentioning too it's a decent boros commander that only costs three mana a lot of other boros commanders outside of you know bruce and and akiri that you mentioned Mm -hmm. joey are like basandra the the uh, boros angel it's you know, all those Razia and the, the seven mana Boros Angels, which are kind of the, the de facto Boros commanders. So seeing something that is mana costed much more in line with what Boros tends to try to do, that mm-hmm. is encouraging. And it's not a total blowout, you know, by shaving on the mana cost. I don't hate the new Akiri, but I, I'm i signing with Dana on this one. I, I'm not sure where in the long run the new Akiri is going to line up in the order of 
Boros commanders over the years, but I, I, I am appealed to, or I'm attracted to the, the mana cost being so much cheaper, I guess. For sure. Well, well, you mentioned some of the angels, Matt, you know, and Joey talked about the equipment commander where she's keeping against herself. A lot of those angel commanders wind up being equipment decks. People tend to build Aurelia mm-hmm. with a lot of equipment, both Aurelias basically. Both Tajiks tend to be built with a lot of equipment. Uh, Jorkadeen has 160 some decks that tend to be very equipment focused. So there's just a lot of commanders and Boros that are that are wearing equipment that, that this deck has to compete with. So will people convert their existing equipment-based decks to it? Will they just keep playing what they're playing and put her in a 99? I, I think we'll get a much clearer picture of, of this commander in six months. Yeah, and I, I think too, like for me, the takeaway is that the Boros commander is not the last place commander. Like there are 19 yeah. commanders and a Boros commander's at number four. That's progress compared to mm-hmm. us in like 2018 or 2017 and all those years ago. Like that does actually really excite me. So I'm, I'm happy for it here. It's an interesting competition. We'll see where Akiri lines up that's a pun intended, uh, with her other former self. Uh, Before I can embarrass myself any further, Dana, how about you tell us about our next (laughs) commander, who is the number five most popular commander from Zendikar? Number five is the Orzov Cleric Commander, Aura Skyclave Hierophant. Two black and white for a core cleric with a lifelink. Aura is a 3-3, and whenever Aura Skyclave Hierophant or another cleric you control dies, return target cleric card with a lesser converted mana cost from your graveyard to the battlefield. 107 decks we're looking at right now for Aura. Uh, this, I, I, I'm surprised it's not higher, but I, I feel like the price on Shadowborn Apostles right now is probably holding this deck back a little bit. And I feel like this is the kind of commander we're going to look at down the road when we talk about late spikes and like we did the late the late bloomers and we're going to say oh a bunch of people built that deck after shadowborn apostles got reprinted in some set and and dropped down to a reasonable price right now i'm not even sure if we're actually seeing shadowborn apostles as a significant statistic on aura's page actually it really does seem to be cleric tribal but not sure. necessarily shadowborn because his ability doesn't work too well in conjunction with them and it really does seem to be more of the like here's some classic clerics like there's the edgewalker and then there's also a Rotlung reanimator and we just want to play a whole bunch of good clerics. That, that might be the direction that we're seeing more even than a Shadowborn situation. Yeah, it kind of winds up being a hate bear-ish deck with clerics. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm just confused. All these Skyclave cards and none of them have flying. <laughs> <laughs> that is the biggest mistake Watsi has made in the past 15 years. That is not true at all. I said that with heavy sarcasm. Okay. Um, but I <laughs> just do like sure. Aura. I think it's it's the scrap trawler type of ability on there is interesting. Mm. I just don't know if there's enough good clerics out there to make the deck really attractive to people to want to play this. That's where oh. I think the biggest fault for Aura is. I don't know. I think you should take that up with the folks who've been playing Timna and Ravos for a while now. Like that's been a, a cleric partner tribal situation there for a bit. That, that is one thing nice about clerics, though. Like as a as a class, they tend to show up show up in literally every set. It's not like mm-hmm. you're waiting for mm-hmm. um, dinosaurs that you may not get for a few years, or waiting for morph creatures or something. Pretty much right. every set's going to have one or two clerics, and there's a decent chance one of them will be okay. So, um, you know, even if you're just building with clerics for value running those good pieces you're probably going to pretty frequently get up updates. And at the very least, I think that tends to keep people from taking a deck apart when it doesn't stagnate. So I think that's probably going to also help here long term as you're just going to 
get new toys frequently enough that you're going to want to keep this deck if you've already built it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that, that is a good point, especially with the next two sets coming out that are kind of, right. they've alluded to being tied into the party mechanic. You can kind of assume that clerics being part of a party, uh, you're probably going to have some clerics coming out in the next couple sets too. Yeah, I like it. So those were the top five. And after that, the commanders that we're seeing of all of the other 14, um, there nothing's breaking over 100. So those are so far the most significant ones with Omnath definitely appearing like way at the top, outstripping all of them in terms of popularity. But interestingly, like I mentioned earlier that Anawan might be bolstered a little bit by the fact that he is a precon commander and therefore comes as a prepackaged deal. It's easy for folks to get a hold of a deck like that and it's all you know pre-constructed. You don't have to build it from scratch. But curiously, Obun, Moldiah Ancestor, the other, the Naya landfall commander that also comes in a precon, that's showing up at ninth place. That's like kind of in the top 10, I guess, but like it's barely beating out Cherix, the Raging Isle, which is the crab meme kind of commander, which like is adorable. But I'm just like, I didn't expect Obun to fall down there, but he really seems to be competing super heavily with four color Omnath right now. Anyone who wants to put white into a landfall deck is just going to Omnath and completely bypassing Obun. Yeah, there's only so much landfall currency you can spend in terms of building decks and people who are building one are building Omnath, which means they're just not building a boon. Right. And so that's just, that's what we're seeing with them right now. Kind of interesting. And who knows if things might shift around in the future, but we're not just going to be talking about the most popular commanders. We also want to get to the actual cards in the 99 as well. And this may include some legendary creatures, but we want to see what's going on for the cards as they wound up in people's actual decks. So let's get to that now. Okay. Why don't we jump over and take a look at the spell lands and see what the most popular ones are among that group. Yeah, this should be a whole lot of fun. Those modal double-faced cards, a spell on one side, a land on the other. We had a whole episode about evaluating modal cards and to see how we evaluate those. Let's see how our evaluations turn out in the actual data. Uh, Real quick, when we are talking about cards in the 99, though, it is probably important for us to mention that, like, initially the data that we see is that, like, these cards are really popular for the commanders from the same set. That tends to be a trend. So we're not just going to be looking at, you know, oh, this is the most popular in Omnath because Omnath is really popular from this set and this card came in the same set. It's almost like a set precon effect because they're all grouped together. We actually kind of want to take a look at where they're showing up outside of the commanders from this set to see where it's impacting the pre-existing commander meta. So let's get to them. Matt, what's the most popular modal double-faced spell land thing that we've got going on so far from Zendikar? So the most popular one so far is probably the most popular in my heart too because I have about five of them that I ordered uh, as soon as I could. <laughs> uh, Valakut Awakening, which is the uh, flip card. It is two and a red for an instant. You can put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library, then draw that many cards plus one, and then you can play it as a tapped, non-basic taps for a red mana land on the other side. I love this card. It is so good, so powerful. Uh, It's showing up in over 500 decks so far. Uh, 15% of all red decks since the new Zendikar set came out are playing this card, and I think that they are right for playing it. This is a really fun one to see. I I do certainly like this one. If you can manipulate some draw stuff with this, it's a it's a nice card to see. It's real saucy. And which commanders are we seeing that are adopting it? Like obviously we've got a whole bunch of, you know, red inclusive commanders from the Zendikar set that are showing this, but are there any other commanders that are affected uh from this one as well that we're seeing adopting the Valakut Awakening? Well, my decks, obviously. So you got Omnath, <laughs> you got Valduk, you got 
But as far as like decks that I'm not playing that we're seeing on the site, uh, Grenzo, Dungeon Warden, is the most popular one actually so far, mm. which is the legendary goblet cares all about putting things on the bottom of your library. So having a way to do that at instant speed and then activate Grenzo's ability, there's all sorts of different ways that you can kind of play around with that. So that one makes a lot of sense on why Grenzo players seem to love Valakut Awakening. Whole lot for sure. All right, so what's the next most popular double-faced land spell thing? The, the next one we have is Balaged Recovery in 406 decks. Uh, that's 12% of the 3494 decks we were looking at here. Um, the most important early adopter among non-Zendikar stuff is Golos, Tireless Pilgrim. That's a fascinating one to see that Golos is glomming onto this one in particular. I don't know if I expected that. I, I wouldn't have guessed Golos, but it makes sense when you look at the rest of the early adopters that aren't from Zendikar Rising. You've got Rada, Heart of Keld. You have Titania, Protector of Argoth, mm. Mina and Den, uh, Omnas, Locus of Rage. So there's a lot of commanders in there that kind of care about landfall-ish mechanics as well. So it, it kind of makes sense that people are thinking about landfall because of Zendikar and they got looking at their other land interactive decks, of which Golos is one. And it wound up slotted in there, just like it slotted in Mina and Den and Titania. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, too, I guess, about Golos specifically is that this is, if you, you know, use Golos's ability and you flip the Balagid Recovery off the top, well, that's actually a card that maybe you only ever intended to play as a land in your deck, but it is a spell off the top. So there is actually some cool synergy going on there. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just make sure people remember when you're searching up a land with Golos's ability, you can't mm -hmm. grab this card, though. It has to be actual land on the front side. There has been a little bit of confusion. It seems to have ironed itself out since the, the set notes came out. Mm -hmm. But just remember, when you're using Golos's fetch ability, you can't pull a card that is a, a land on the backside, you cannot search that up like you're looking for a land. So make sure you keep that in mind. It is cool. You can cast the t the front side, though, the actual Balagad recovery off of Ghost's activated ability. That is pretty saucy, though. So and, and another thing, another point that I want to tack on to what you just said there, Matt, is that also make sure that you have enough regular lands to support the deck yes. and that you don't rely on spells being lands alone. Yes, but very much so. OK, so but with that said, the next two most popular modal double face cards that we're seeing here, I will say that in this specific instance, I actually do support the explicit use of replacing these with a land slot. And that's because these are two mythics that go into one very particular deck that we're seeing as a very important adopter of these. So Seagate Restoration, the spell that lets you draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand. It's the big seven mana blue spell. And Agadim's Awakening, which is the X spell that can revive some creatures from your graveyard. They are both lands on the other side that you can pay three life to enter untapped. These particular ones, among some, you know, we've got some Zendikar cards that are showing up for this. But the most important adopter of these so far is easily Eureka Tiger's Shadow because she wants big mana cards that she can flip off the top to deal a bunch of damage to everyone. So even if you literally only ever intend to play these as lands, you probably don't care about the temple loss in this particular instance, and you are happy to see a seven mana spell that you will then play as a land later that can deal a bunch of damage with Eureka's ability. Both of these are showing up for Eureka so far, and I'm... I'm I'm legitimately impressed, and I will consider this a great exception if you want to use these spells specifically in a land slot. Yeah, the one thing I will note about Seagate Restoration, too, is I feel like it's probably the most universally useful of these cards. Um, hmm. You know, not that, like, making two four four white angels isn't useful in every single deck, but that's the kind of thing that 
there are some situations where you're just like, my deck isn't doing angel things or whatever. So you're like, I just don't care about it. Every deck is doing draw spell things for the most part. Yeah. So really, there's no, I don't, I don't, I feel like there's less situations where someone would say, that's a fine card, but I really don't care about it. I feel like Seeker Restoration is the one where it's much easier to just slot in and feel like it's not thematically divergent from what your deck is doing. I don't know. I don't I don't agree with that. I'm going to take the the necromancer myself side here. Uh, Agnim's <laughs> Awakening is pretty sweet. Like it's in in commander there are more efficient options, but if this is what you're using it for, being able to pay, you know, 5 mana and get all your two drops and one drops back on the battlefield. Not, it's not all your two drops. It's one one drop and one right. two drop. Oh, well even uh, okay, never mind. Yeah, see, that's my point. See, the necro- yeah. I, let me do the necromancer there, Mister. See, I, but I but, was like, trying so hard to be like you, Joey. I, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Don't, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> that way lies folly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Dana, I think that the the thing that I would kind of hazard about what you were saying there is that like a seven mana sorcery that draws cards is still kind of a tall ask for me. You bet. So that is like a, just like an asterisk I, I, think, I would put on I think they're all tall ask. I just think this one is the easiest one to put in a deck. I, I don't mm. I, I don't like the blue one. I Spending that much money, it's the same reason I don't like Turn Timber Symbiosis. There are just so many better versions of what you could be doing with these. I mean, people are, are jonesing to play Turn Timber Symbiosis, but like Joey's pointed out several times, See the Unwritten is a card that is not that popular, but is arguably more powerful because it's cheaper and you get two different options if you have the Ferocious Trigger. So I think it, in Eureka decks, yes, that that's fine because you're you're specifically trying to dome people for a lot of damage. But outside of that, I'm I'm still not a big fan of these. And I'm also personally kind of there too. But it was a cool exception that we are seeing, and we'll have to see if any other exceptions also reveal themselves amongst the data. Um, who we got after this? What's the next most popular modal double face land that we're seeing from the set? So next up, we have Glasspool Mimic, which is coming in at 325 decks so far, which is about 10% of the blue decks that we're seeing since the new Zendikar set has come out. Glasspool Mimic is the shapeshifter rogue for two and a blue, and you may have Glasspool Mimic enter the battlefield as a copy of a creature you control, except it's a shapeshifter rogue in addition to its other types. And this also you can play as a tapped tap for a blue land if you want to play the land side instead. Uh, so far, it's showing up in Sig River Cutthroat deck, so that, that rogue synergi- synergy that we talked about already is obviously pretty important for Sig River Cutthroat. So do you guys think that makes any sense, or are these people crazy? Well, I mean, it can be both, and I'm sure that the rogues are happy to admit it. Let's be real. Um, yeah, and there's also, like, you know, Anawan also from the set. Rogues, it's going really fun for a whole bunch of them, too. But Sig does seem to be the real standout here uh, that we're that we're seeing. I really like Glasspool Mimic, and I guess I'm actually kind of surprised to see that it isn't showing up. Uh, it being, like, the number five most popular, I'm, I'm actually, like, Sure, that makes sense. But I'm surprised not to see uh, more diversity on its page, I guess, is sort of where I'm at. Um, I I think the problem is there's just a lot of good versions of that effect. Um, Mm. And I I think your fights, it's fighting with just a bunch of other effective clones. And the the ability to run it as a land, I guess, helps. But I, I wonder if it's just not a card that people didn't race out to find for their decks because there's just all they're probably already at a point where it's difficult to make cuts if you're mm-hmm. running a bunch of clone effects. Plus, it is it is limited to creatures that you control yourself already, yeah. so yeah, right. it, it's kind of board dependent. We've kind of been down on cards that 
are do similar things like this. So I don't think I'm going to be playing in any of my decks, but then it's blue. So eh. <laughs> well, I do think that like this is the kind of thing that we're probably going to see more and more moving forward, where I think we've hit the max saturation for a lot of these kind of effects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you get two new clones every year and they're just some variant at some point you don't have room for them right and they can only continue to scale up that power so much as well so i'll be curious to see if if we don't see this kind of thing more and more where once upon a time you're like well it's a clone i'm playing a clone deck or a deck that cares about copying things of course i'll find a slot i think we're maybe at the point kind of like we are with dual land cycles where it's becoming more and more difficult to find room for some of them yeah, that, that does make sense to me too, for sure. Uh, all right, so those are some of the, you know, those were top five of the double-faced things. We also want to talk about some of the most popular cards, not within that particular category, just like some of the other awesome cards in the set. So we'll get to those soon. But guys, before we do, I'll tell you what, I think we got to challenge some stats. This is one of our favorite segments here on the show. We'd love to take a critical look at the data on EDH track because let's be real, we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes they're seeing too little play. So what we like to do here is challenge those statistics. Matt, this week, how about you start us off? What is your challenge? So my challenge, I know, Joey, you you don't like it when I get ahead of myself and I, I challenge cards that are too early. But this one, I think it's pretty safe to challenge us because we already have a fairly direct kind of analogy that we can draw to with a similar card that it had. So Soul Shatter is the card that I'm going to challenge and say it is, it's pretty underplayed currently. It's only showing up in 3% of black decks so far, 81 decks total. So Soul Shatter is two and a black for an instant. Each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker with the highest converted mana cost among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Now, a card that we have been pretty big on in the past as something that scales very well into multiplayer formats is Crackling Doom, which is a Mardu version of this card. Pretty much the same, except Soul Shatter also happens to hit Planeswalkers, and Crackling Doom instead does two damage to each opponent. But we've talked about in multiplayer 40 life formats, two damage isn't really that big of a deal, whereas Planeswalkers, they can be a little hard to get rid of. So Soul Shatter being instant speed, hitting each of your opponents and being able to hit Planeswalkers. Like there's so much good stuff going on right now. 3% of black decks total are playing Soul Shatter, 81 total, like I said. In, you know, just to, to draw a comparison real quick, 6,900 decks are playing Crackling Doom, which is 13% of Mardu decks. Those numbers need to converge and, and, crack, and Crackling Doom actually might get replaced by Soul Shatter in a lot of decks because it is so much easier to cast as well. I think the numbers, it's just such an efficient removal card. I think these numbers are are off quite a bit. Folks, this the Soul, Soul Shatter is amazing. Play it in more than 3% of your decks. I don't disagree uh, that I, I like Soul Shatter too, actually. I quite like your valuation, but I do still think you're getting a little bit ahead of yourself. Let the data saturate. Let the data... So here here are some cards that are getting played more than Soul Shatter so far. Uh, Marasa Sproutling, Coveted Prize, (laughs) Lowell Mage's Familiar, 
All right, all right. I think you've you've made your point, and I I accept defeat here. Well Jawari Jawari disruption, which is a <laughs> no, two no. mana counter spell, unless the opponent unless its controller pays one mana, is being okay. Three more. All right, all right. I get it. We're gonna move on to mine now. Mine will be one of our patrons challenging the stats. Remember, this is one of our Patreon tiers. So, Sean, this one is for you. First of all, thank you so much for supporting us, and let's get to your challenge. My challenge would be for Mayel of the Anima, and it's a twofer. For one thing, out of a thousand Mayel decks, 229 are running Colossal Majesty, and I say that number should be zero, because only less than 20 decks also have the card Garrick's Uprising. So real quick, those are two green enchantments for three mana. Colossal Majesty will draw you a card on your upkeep if you've got the biggest creature, and Garrick's Uprising draws you a card whenever a big creature enters your battlefield. But also, it gives it trample. And yeah, Sean, I would be in total agreement with you here that these numbers also probably need to swap over. Colossal Majesty is just slow, and I totally agree with your assessment that Garrick's Uprising has kind of outpaced, outpower creeped the capabilities of Colossal Majesty. Mael loves the big creatures. You're going to get a whole lot more draw triggers a lot more consistently if you get that draw as soon as the thing enters the battlefield rather than having to wait for the trigger on Colossal Majesty. I really like this one, and the trample is a nice cherry on top as well. That's a good call, Joey. I like it. All right, Dana, let's get to yours. The last one we have here is from one of our uh, Discord moderators, Ryan Crouch. And uh, the suggestion we got here from Ryan is on Elvish Piper. Elvish Piper is four mana, three and a green for a human, excuse me, for an elf shaman. Um, what's relevant here is you can spend a green and tap it to put a creature card from your hand into play. It's in 4,000 decks, but where Ryan says we should see it more, and I tend to agree, is in Maelstrom Wanderer, where it's only in 29 of the 1,326 decks in our database. The, the logic here is one of the downsides of Maelstrom Wanderer is having to actually cast your giant creatures if you can't have your Maelstrom Wanderer do the cascade thing. So you tend to be running a bunch of giant beaters in that deck, and if for some reason you're unable to, to get Maelstrom Wanderer repeatedly cast, you're kind of stuck holding a grip full of, of cards that are themselves really difficult to cast. Elvish Piper is a way to work around that by putting those creatures straight into play. So um, I think that's a really good point that it's useful to have a backup plan in that deck. And yeah, I think it should be in more than just 29 of the 1300 decks we have on the list. So now we're going to get back into those Zendik cards and see where some of the other cards have sort of landed within the 99 of different decks. I want to start off here with our number one. This is, uh, it's just delicious. The most popular card showing up in the decks from the set of Zendikar Rising. It's Ancient Green Warden, and it's so beautiful. <laughs> this is the six mana elemental that lets you play lands from the graveyard and then doubles your landfall triggers, and it's just the most beautiful thing showing up in 732 decks so far. That's 21% of the possible decks that have been built since this card's release are containing it. Like, this is some lovely adoption. And looking over its page, it's all the all the land all the landfall decks. All of them <laughs> are playing this card. Like like all of them, it's shown up in all the landfall decks. This is no surprise. How many but it is Joey, all of hold them. Hold, I I don't think I understand you quite. How many? All all of, of them. them. Okay, all it, of it, them. Yeah. But with that said, like I mean, yeah, it's pretty obvious. You run this in landfall stuff, right? But. It might be interesting, like, what are the commanders that aren't running this one as often, you know, among the landfall commanders that are obviously running this card, but which ones aren't adopting it as frequently? The the three least usage among landfall commanders is Tatiova, uh, Yerak, and Gitrog Monster. 
Um, mm. But I think that's relatively self-explanatory in that, yes, there are commanders that, that can do things with landfall or have the words land on the card and interacts with it. But like Tatiova tends to be very much just a card you run atop some kind of a combo engine for value. Gitrog's mm-hmm. a dredge deck for the most part. Yes, land matters there, but you're not really playing it like a traditional landfall commander where you care about the land's ETBing. In Yerok, again, it's it's doubling those triggers, but landfalls are probably a relatively small portion of that. So there's probably enough other decks not doing things that care about Ancient Green Warden um, that it's kind of diluting the numbers for these decks, I would guess. Whereas something like Omnath is just almost always doing landfall stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Yarok especially, that deck is already so dense with all these abilities and it's kind of centered <laughs> around Yarok being on the battlefield. It doesn't need Ancient Green Warden as much as some of these other decks do. And Tatiova, like you said, it's a combo deck in a lot of situations. And Gitrog Monster, like Ancient Green Warden doesn't help you like sniff socks and like combo out on turn two. Right. So <laughs> wow, Gitrog Monster doesn't need ancient green warden uh kind of like many other decks probably would yeah but we again with that said even though those are the least popular adopters and that probably reveals you know some combo lines for those compared to like the straightforward tokenness that all of the other landfall decks probably want to replicate like all of them are playing (laughs) ancient green warden it is a very popular card for sure it is no surprise to me at all that this is the number one card being put into decks from zendikar rising all of them love it all right uh so matt then who's uh who's showing up for number two number two we have a card it's skewt it's pretty cute it's cute it's, it's cute skewt um skewt swarm actually is the actual name of the card which is pretty cute um so far it's showing up in almost 700 decks actually so 693 decks 20 percent of green decks total uh it's pretty powerful card some of the top commanders obviously landfall phylath loves this card new omnath but there are some interesting commanders that are showing up, um, maybe not using the landfall theme as much. Uh, stuff like Throwmock the Devastator, the the Gruel commander that's all about sacrificing tokens. Uh, you have Karametra, which is kind of comes a landfall deck when you think about it. Um, but Mazarek, Crawl Death Priest. I know Joey, that's a card that mm. I've seen you play a few times. What do you guys think about Skeet Swarm and where it's not showing up? I'm glad that it's cute and I'm glad that it's warm. <laughs> That's how I feel. Uh, no, I'm I'm delighted to see Mazarek there. Mazarek loves tokens for sure. And this is a great way to get a whole bunch of them very, very easily. Um, and, and Mazarek also loves fetch lands, like because that's a sacrifice, sacrifice thing. So you'd get more landfall. This is a great home for it that I don't know I would have thought of off the top of my head. So in addition to seeing all of them in terms of the landfall decks that are adopting the Scoot Swarm, we're also getting some really spicy other inclusions here. And I'm, I'm happy to see it. Yeah, the, the one thing nice about it being in green is you don't necessarily need to do anything special with your deck to take advantage of landfall triggers, even if your deck isn't doing landfall stuff. Like mm. in your Throwmock deck, if you just want to make bodies to have available to sacrifice, or same thing in Mazarek, you don't need to have an extra plan because those decks tend to be running um, spells that go fetch you lands for land ram purposes. You've got your Nature's Lore, your Rampant Growth, your Farseeks probably already in a lot of those decks. So you can just get additional triggers in addition to the, you know, I'm going to play one land per turn ones you're going to get because it's green. So that's the advantage there. These are all green commanders running this green Scoot Swarm that's going to generate you extra value without having to find ways to do cool landfall stuff. Well, here's here's a deck that people are playing 
skewed swarm in that it, it becomes a headache, but you get so much value out of it. Uh, Otrimi, the ever playful, that mutate legendary precon commander. Oh no. Playing a decent amount of skewed swarm, guys. Just remember, so when skewed swarm mutates, you, you, that stays on the card and then you create a copy of the skewed swarm but it carries over all of those attributes that you had. It is a rules headache, but basically your skewed swarms, the tokens, the copies, um, they all have trample. And, I, they're, and they're, they're huge. They're no longer skewed. They're, they're no longer, it's suggly, not a skewed. Suggly. <laughs> oh man, that's a really mean one. All right, let's move on to number three. Dana, what's the next uh, one that we're seeing here showing up in the 99 of decks? The next one we're seeing here is Phylath World Sculptor. That's the almost Avenger of Zendikar um, mm. showing up in 366 decks, which is 19% of the 1975 decks we have available. Basically, if it's a Gruul or Jund or Naya or Teemer landfall deck, <laughs> they're probably playing it. But there really aren't many decks aside from that that are that are running it. So if you're not playing landfall, this probably doesn't really make the cut. Yeah, so popular, but does seem to be a bit pigeonholed, I guess. Yeah, especially because if you're just looking to do something like the Masaryk deck does that makes you tokens, I think you'd much rather generate those tokens on a three-mana Scoot Swarm than on a six-mana Phylath. I think you sure. want something efficient that's just going to make you these cheap bodies that you can sacrifice and for whatever thing you're doing versus like having to turn a land into a creature off Phylath when you get a landfall effect. Gotcha. That makes sense. All right, then let's go on to number four, see what we've got there. It looks like our number four most popular card from Zendikar Rising is the card Feed the Swarm. This is a common sorcery, two mana, black card, destroy target creature or enchantment and opponent controls you lose life equal to that permanence converted mana cost of all the things to show up i i almost kind of consider commander like a uncommons and the rares and and the mythics and like there's a whole bunch of the really big splashy stuff and i don't see adoption of too much like too many new commons i feel like they don't usually make a huge splash but this one seems to be inching it up there for sure because this is a way for mono black to finally get rid of enemy enchantments and it looks like people are eager to adopt it i mean it, it this card it's a common yes um, but if you go to cardkingdom.com slash EDHREC, this card is 79 cents right now as of time of recording. That's that unusual is, for a that's common. That's pricey for a common. Uh, if you go to tcgplayer.com and follow the price link from EDHREC, it's still <laughs> like a 60 cent card. Like it, it's crazy how expensive this card is right out the gates as a common. Like that just shows yeah. how many people are trying to get a hold of these. I mean, I know there are standard players that want this. I know there are commander players that want this. Uh, so it the numbers are crazy and it just it does not play like a common. Yeah. And of the adopters that we're seeing, it's of like if you look on the page for Feed the Swarm, it's a lot of mono black for sure. Mm -hmm. You've got some of the newer uh, commanders from this year, like Tiny Bones, for example, is showing up with this. Uh, Kirik is also here for it. Um, curiously, we're also seeing Graven Predator Captain, who kind of wants to lose life. I'm still on the fence about whether I would personally want to use Feed the Swarm in my Graven deck, but I can definitely appreciate the thought going into this where you're not able, where you're able to manipulate the fact that you are losing life. Like, I, I certainly do appreciate that. And this is a rare way for Black to get rid of enchantments. I'm still not sure if I want it necessarily. I kind of like, I, I feel okay having that weakness in the decks that I play. But it is nice to finally have some type of escape option if you need it. Some emergency meeting button, as it were. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of get that completely, Joey. Because even in like a Demir deck, 
Blue also can't deal with enchantments mm-hmm. aside from counter spells. Um, I have a Demir deck that I feel like would like this card, but I, I'm also kind of comfortable with that weakness and, and mm-hmm. it being sorcery speed. It's good, but I feel like it's not the kind of thing where you're like, I have to find room for this right now. Um, at least in that deck, maybe some mono black decks don't feel that way, but it, it, it's good. But I also I also get why it's you know in this four range and not number one or number two. There's certainly a mono black attitude there to be like, mm, yeah. don't even pay attention to that bothersome thing. It would just be a speed bump if I tried to answer that. So there's certainly that. But I mean, definitely impressive common and the, and it's, uh, a, the it's numbers. a really really good card. Like I don't want that to yeah sound like I don't think it is. It is for sure. Yeah, the the numbers are bearing it out both on EDH Rec and Matt. Even as you mentioned, the numbers on some price like for a common, it's certainly making a bigger wave than I think I ever expected it to. So I'm cool. It's uh, cool to see it there. All right, so that was one two three four. What's that? Well, Let's go to number five. So at number five on the list, we have Morog, Fury of Akum. He is the four red red legendary Minotaur warrior. He's a six six and each creature you control gets plus one plus oh for each time it is attacked this turn and also has that landfall ability. Whenever a land enters a battlefield under your control, if it's your main phase, there's an additional combat phase after that. And at the beginning of that combat, you untap all the creatures you control. So it's a nice way to get some extra combat steps, playing lots of lands. So obviously landfall commanders, go figure. But there's also some fun commanders that don't really depend on the landfall ability, um, but still can take advantage of it. Stuff like Sethron, the Hurloon legend uh, mm. that we got in Jumpstart. Uh, Haldon and Paco, the uh, the good boy and his master. That's a nice little combo right there that they're teaming up with. Uh, Itali, Primal Storm. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Uh, it's just so good. You get all the Itali triggers. And also uh, Xenagos, the Xenagod, if you will. Uh, if you're swinging with big beefy things and you're getting more abilities at the at the beginning of your combat, uh, I don't see where you can really go wrong with this this Minotaur here. Yeah, and things like Atali and Zenagos really make sense because those tend to be um, kind of good stuff commanders, and I don't mean that in a negative way. They just tend to be commanders where the, the commander isn't dictating necessarily a particular card set in the deck. You just tend to be running really good cards available to you in that that color combination. Um, you know, Morag's a really good card. Like, you're, it, it makes sense to see it in those kind of decks. It's also cool to see, like, with the exception of Atali, we don't have too many mono red decks showing up. It really does mm-hmm. seem to be, like, there's Sethron that loves the Minotaur stuff, for example, because it's a Minotaur. But aside from that, you also are getting some pairing with green. So even if you're not doing specifically landfall stuff, you have the option to have one of your ramp spells later on in the game right. also become a relentless assault to give you an extra combat. So that's a nice pairing to be aware of for Morag. Like, yes, it's really good in all the landfall decks. But aside from that, it does seem to drift towards green inclusive decks when it is being played. Number six here we have is Ashaya Soul of the Wild, who we talked quite a bit about before under the Commanders. Uh, Ashaya is showing up in 594 decks, 17% of the 3494 decks able to run her in our database. The non-landfall adopters we're seeing here are Yasan, the Wanderer Bard, and Mono Green Silvala, Heart of the Wilds. All right. Uh, and I'll speak personally, from personal experience, this is a card I'm running in two decks. I've got it in a, a Reki History Kamigawa deck and in my landfall deck. So it, at least these numbers are logical based on my own personal usage. I've put it in two decks. Well, and you even you even predicted the Mono Green Silvala too. So kudos to you for looking ahead on the show notes and preparing <laughs> for this very show. I'm thinking... <laughs> Cheater. Well, and uh, like the the commanders that you mentioned, like they also strike me. Like we talked about Ashaya being maybe kind of combo rific as a commander earlier. Salvala and Yisan 
also kind of combo rific. So it, this is like one of the, those are also decks that might use the query on Ranger sort yeah. of uh, untappy kind of hack there. So that's a perfect home for Ashaya because those are also some combo situations going on. Um, so it is a little bit more of the same. But Dana, I'm also glad to hear that you are an Ashaya convert, just like Matt has made me. Matt's <laughs> so influential. On everything in my I, life, I, really, if I'm being you honest guys about are it. Finally, listening to me, you, you've come to your senses. <laughs> it just I'm took so us 133 right, episodes. Right. Only, yeah, only 103 plus. <laughs> All right, let's move on now to number seven. This one's a little bit strange. This is the card Thieving Skydiver. It is a two mana Merfolk Rogue with Kicker of X, but X can't be zero. It has flying, and when it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, you gain control of target artifact with mana cost X or less, so however much you kicked it for. And if that artifact is an equipment, you attach it to the Thieving Skydiver. Thieving Skydiver is showing up in nearly 500 decks so far. 15% of the decks that have been built since the set came out are showing up with Thieving Skydiver. Obviously, it's a rogue, so, you know, showing up in a, the new rogue tribal stuff. It's also a merfolk, so you're seeing some stuff like Kumena is enjoying it there, too. Um, but a weird one I didn't expect to see. Matt, is that is that a ninja hiding in our show notes again? That is a ninja. Snuck its way in. Not a very good one if Matt noticed it in the show notes. That's wow. true. My my <laughs> well, perception role is like a seven. So, well, yeah, no. Eureka once again shows up here. This is a very evasive uh, creature that Eureka will probably want to take advantage of. Can't believe you called her not a good ninja. How <laughs> dare you, Dana? Uh, but yeah, this is a, a really versatile uh, sort of card that Eureka can use to like offset the tempo of other players by stealing a mana rock, maybe. And it's a great way to enable her ninjutsu ability. So uh, another nice home. Uh, Eureka's got some new toys this set for sure. I I think there's some amount of the the CEDH level folks too that might be playing this together. Hmm. Uh, I know Thieving Skydiver, you don't even really have to kick it. You can kick it for zero and steal a mana crypt where that's Uh, probably... X X can't be zero. X cannot be zero? Well, you're probably doing it for one and stealing something regardless. (laughs) But I mean, that there are so many more very, very cheap and efficient mana rocks in that format. So that's probably where a lot of the attention is going as far as with Eureka specifically, because as far as I know, that's a, a, a fairly playable commander in those those power levels. Sure. So it's not too surprising. I, I get it at least. Um, I, I'm still not super excited about Thieving Skydiver, even though Jason Alt did come onto twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast <laughs> and stole a soul ring from me. And it was surprisingly like disruptive of my game plan. It was really frustrating mm-hmm. to see on like turn three. Well, it's just funny to me that Eureka was an earlier adopter of the Thieving Skydiver, even more than Kumena, the Merfolk tribal. Like, that's what actually kind of has me a little bit surprised. And Matt, your soul ring deserved to be stolen. I'm just <laughs> All I want to do is just cast spells, man, and I did not get to do that. <laughs> All right, Dana, what's in the number eight position? Number eight position, we have Felidar Retreat in 425 decks. That's 14% of the... Uh, 3,030 decks it can run in. And a Felidar Retreat is an enchantment for four mana. And when a land comes into place, we have Landfall here. You either put a plus one counter on all creatures you control or you make a 2-2 cat. Um, Those are both pretty good abilities. Like, I feel like that's maybe almost the kind of enchantment you could run in a whole bunch of decks Mm -hmm. if it didn't give you a choice, if it was just one or the other. The fact that you can choose the more useful of the two abilities is really, really good. And I'm not at all surprised to see this showing up in this many decks. If anything, I thought it might be a little bit higher. And it's showing up in white-inclusive non-landfall decks um, 
or land decks and non-land decks as well. Karametra in particular tends to play a lot of land, so you can really kind of abuse it. Run and Siri care about the cats, as do Arabo. So the, the three decks we're seeing here completely make sense, and I get why it's in them. It's such yeah. a good card. This card is, man, it's so good. And it, it, this is another card that is, it's kind of the bane of standard right now too, because if you're getting multiple land drops, mm-hmm. even if somebody rats the board, you can reestablish yourself faster than Dana <laughs> after a board wipe as well. Cause it, it's so, it's so good, especially with, if you're playing fetch lands or maybe the next card here where you get instant speed land drops, it's, I, I think people are kind of sleeping on this card. Yeah, I I am also kind of with you there, Matt, that I can totally see these numbers going way higher. But you mentioned our next card on the list. How about we get to it? What we got? Well, I would love to get to it. So Roiling Regrowth is the next card that we're going to talk about. Uh, Two and a green for an instant. Sacrifice a land, then search your library for up to two basic lands. Put them on the battlefield, tapped, and shuffle your library. Kind of a Harrow type of effect where you get to pull up the basic lands. Instant speed. Uh, 453 decks so far. 13% of all the green decks that we have seen. So obviously, landfall landfall decks are going to love this. But also there's stuff like Calamax, which is a high adopter of this card, which is kind of crazy. Uh, the fact that this is instant speed means with Calamax's ability, you can copy it and then make sure you're getting, you know, four lands on the battlefield instead of just two. Uh, you still have to sacrifice the land. That is part of the resolution of the spell, mm-hmm. but you're getting all more lands in there. It's a very, very powerful card. Yeah, and of the landfall adopters that we're seeing for this, like Titania, really excited. Yep. Lord Windgrace loves the graveyard. Corvold, we're also seeing, is picking Obviously. up this particular one a little bit. And then, of course, there's all of the traditional landfall stuff that so many of the cards that we're talking about have been, you know, all these landfall commanders are glomming up all of these things. They certainly love it. But Calamax is a pretty interesting one. I don't know if I like it as much as Harrow, because like you mentioned, the resolution of the spell, I don't hate it, but I don't think I love it either. I don't know. I think I'd have to, I'll have to noodle on that one a little bit to see whether where where I fall on that being on Calamax being uh, one of the adopters for this card, I think the, the last one we want to look at here, number ten, uh, Valakut Exploration, uh, four hundred and thirty three decks. That's thirteen percent of the thirty four thirty nine possible decks, and this is the three mana enchantment, two in a red, and it has a landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may exile the top card of your library, and you may play that card for as long as it remains exiled. Um, the kind of gravy on top of the uh, chicken fried steak here is at the <laughs> beginning of your end step, uh, if there are cards exiled without cut expiration, put them into their owner's graveyard, and then it deals that much damage to each opponent. So you get a little bit of bonus damage for this, and the cards aren't gone. You have the ability to reuse them from your graveyard. Yeah, think, you get a little bit of bonus damage, but just like you get a little bonus cholesterol when you have the absolutely. gravy on the, on the chicken fried it's steak. Like, it's like Paula Dean. You're speak- <laughs> Dana, you're, you're speaking to the Midwesterner in me. <laughs> um, this is a card we liked and we've talked about in the past. Um, I finally just got to play it on the stream at Twitch TV slash ADH Redcast. Um, it's one of those cards that I think like you look at it and you realize how obviously useful it is. But I don't think you can truly appreciate how fantastic this card is until you are playing with it. It's amazing. It's an engine that fuels itself, which is what particularly is so great. When we look over its page, uh, it's kind of funny. Like, red-inclusive landfall commanders certainly are using it. You know, you've got your Omnaths, you've got your Wind Graces. This is a really great way to, like, kind of diversify your abilities in addition to getting card advantage. Like, if you don't want to rely on just tokens, this can do damage if you just get, like, five or ten or... 
humongoloid amounts of of lands into play in one turn. Like this is a really great damage dealer. Aside from that, though, there's not like a ton of other adoption that we're seeing, with the exception of one that we did mention when we first saw this card, and that is Torbran. Torbran. Like, even if he's a mono-red deck that doesn't get too many landfall triggers, he's happy to have an incidental my mountain accidentally bolts everyone for three at the end of the turn. Whoops. Oh, darn. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. This, this card, I mean, before we were even starting the podcast, I got some cards from TCG Player because I support the show, like everyone should, <laughs> using, our, using that neat little affiliate link. Um, but I did buy some of these, and Dana and I were talking about this before the show. Valakut Exploration is just such a just stinking good card, people. Like, this card and Felidar Retreat, like, the fact that you're getting rewarded for playing lands that you would be playing anyways, mm-hmm. and you're getting card advantage engine out of it, you're getting damage out of it, or Felidar Retreat, you're getting creatures out of it and buffing your creatures. Mm-hmm. These cards, like, I... I feel like I'm a little crazy by thinking this, but like as far as souping up the 99 of a lot of my decks, at least, this set in general is just insane with just cards that are rewarding you for doing things you're going to be doing anyways. Yeah, I can fully get behind that. Like when we look over the numbers of other uh, sets, like some of the initial stuff that we're seeing, it is certainly impacted by folks' availability to acquire cards nowadays. But these are some really nice numbers to be seeing. Like this is definitely making quite a big big splash uh, with all the cards that we've got going on here. Zendikar Rising, I'm loving it. The numbers are bearing out how much we also love it. Like it's there's some fun stuff. And it's not just for landfall decks either. It is a landfall paradise for sure, but there's a ton of other stuff that's going on here that benefits a lot more than just the landfall commanders. So it was a whole lot of fun to look over them. Before we go, guys, I do want to ask if there are any cards that you were surprised not to see among like the top commanders or the top 10 cards or, or something like that. I guess we didn't even actually address the pathways, but like the pathways are seeing a whole lot of play. We just didn't want to bog down the runtime of this video by talking about the pathways. But like, are there other cards from uh, this set that you are kind of interested in that might maybe their numbers will improve in the future or other cards that we just didn't, didn't address yet that you are interested in? in their numbers soul shatter yeah soul shatter yep your challenge is that okay <laughs> uh, um, all right one, fair enough one i think long term you'll see the numbers creep up for is skyclave relic that's the indestructible mana rock that oh. um has kicker three and when you kick it you bring in two extra copies tapped not that i think it's necessarily that amazing of a card but darksteel ingot is in thirty-three thousand decks in our database oh and this is a strictly better darksteel ingot and I get why people aren't excited and rushing to make this particular change, but this feels like the kind of card where, like, as people open packs, you know, over the course of the next few months and maybe do some drafting, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. they will eventually just slowly pull out their Dark Steel ingots and replace it with these. So sure. those numbers will creep up just as people make that upgrade. But I, I don't think it's the kind of upgrade anyone's rushing out to make because it makes their deck exciting. Right. Um, but I, I think that one will eventually show up in more decks. Yeah, I can totally get behind that. A three-mana card that I'm interested in seeing more of that I'm just like, man, give me more of these is Demon's Disciple. Mm -hmm. It's like the Fleshbag Marauder 4.0. It's like, it's beautiful. Makes people sacrifice stuff. My Marin deck is really happy about having so many versions of this effect. Um, Matt is really unhappy about my Marin deck being really happy about having four versions of this effect. Uh, It's only in like 5% of the decks available uh, that have been built since it came out, but y'all this is a really good card it again isn't probably like the most exciting thing like you mentioned there dana because like we've literally seen this effect before but it's another one that i'm happy to have in the fold yeah just having another copy of that very powerful effect i did pick up one from my taste of karlov deck there you go it's yeah it's a great it's a great card like it's a very very good effect 
Um, one card that I'm surprised people are playing more than both of the cards you guys just mentioned, Angel of Destiny. Uh, it's already shown up in 6% Ooh. of white decks so far. Uh, three white white for an Angel Cleric, a flying double strike. It's a 2-6, so that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> whenever a creature you control deals combat damage, you and that player each gain that much life. And then at the beginning of your end step, if you have at least 15 more life than your starting life total, each player Angel of Destiny attacked this turn loses the game. It's a lot of hoops to jump through. Mm -hmm. It has to survive till the end step. It, there's a lot that just has to go right in addition to you having more life. And, you know, people see this and you're going to get targeted down real quick. I just, I don't think this is worth the effort people are really jumping through. Um, hmm. I've seen a lot on Brawl, too, for some reason. I just, I, I, it's an angel. I get the appeal there. But as far as being like an effective card, I just... Man, go I don't for, know, man. Go for it, uh, I guess. I, I feel like you're discounting how popular the life gain strategy is. Life gain is like the third most popular theme among decks, according to the data that we've picked up. So uh, this seems like a great addition as another potential win condition into those uh, life gain decks because you're, instead of whittling your opponents down, you're raising yourself up and that will eventually cause you to win. So I'm not too surprised uh, to see that one. And in fact, I think it could easily go higher. I, I don't think it sh well, I think it could. I don't think it should, I guess. Uh, well, you're just I being grumpy then. There's just so much <laughs> that has to go right with this card. I, I, I don't know. I'm... I'm I don't think I agree with you there. Uh, the final one that I think it would be interesting to mention is probably the uh, Lithoform engine. The... Um, the engine that can do anything, it can like copy your triggered abilities or it can make token copies of, of things. Um, this one's only showing up in about like 5% of the decks available uh, so far, and that can go like nearly anywhere. I don't know if I personally see this particular one going the way of um, like the Immortal Sun, for example. Like it's a very expensive card right now, which I think is also impacting its popularity. Yeah. But since it is also very generally useful, almost generically useful, I'm not sure if it has like a strict dedicated home and some of the other stuff that we've been seeing from this popularity kind of Im implies that like the cards that have unique or like very obvious homes are, are a little bit easier as opposed to like the general cards so i'm not sure if, how it would compare to immortal sun but i feel like immortal sun kind of wins out on that particular race what do you guys think i do agree the the lithoform engine that could i just like <laughs> like it's powerful i remember we're seeing people calling for this card to be banned oh could not get on board with that engine uh, but I, it's fine. It's like you said, it's, it's generically good. Uh, but people also have played mirror pool. They've had access to mirror pool for a long time and that never got anywhere. Uh, hmm. Sure. It's a land. The, the, the activation cost is a little more restricted, but I don't think lithoform engine is, is going to be doing anything broken anytime soon. Yeah. It, it doesn't. Definitely, I don't think have the attractiveness of like a Paradox Engine or something. Sure. And the, the, I think Joey's also right. For a card that isn't backbreaking, I think there are cards like Paradox Engine at the time was also relatively expensive, but it was so impactful that you might, might be willing to have paid that price. I think at the price point this is at and at how impactful it is in decks, I don't think people are really super eager to to try it out when it's costing, you know, 17 to $20 ish right now in three or four months when that price drops down and is half what it is, I think you might see some more experimentation with it. Um, but I think right now that's the, the price point combined with the fact that it isn't necessarily super easily broken. It's probably holding it back. Well, and, yeah. and if you're playing it fairly, it's fairly man intensive too. Like yeah, if you're doing you broken things, sure. But, but at that point, you're, you're doing broken things. So what, what do you need lithoform engine right. for that you weren't doing already? 
Yeah, there's a lot of other cards in this particular set that we didn't even get to. There's a lot mm -hmm. of interesting stuff. We just wanted to go through the most popular things and see where they are landing. Um, but I wouldn't be all too surprised if there are other cards that also eventually surge up in popularity that we didn't even mention because there's a whole lot of crazy stuff happening in this set. Zendikar Rising is really, really exciting. I think that this is a really great way to push us into, uh, you know, into Commander Legends where everything goes absolutely crazy. I mean, I, I think since I've been playing Commander, which is... Like, 30, 70 years, I think, at this point. <laughs> um, I can't think of a set where I've struggled more to find room for cards just because there's so many I want to put in every deck, or at least I'm considering yeah. for every deck. Um, it's I, just yeah. an absolute embarrassment of riches. This is It's Absolutely. almost kind of like a War of the Spark type set where yeah. the commons yeah. and uncommons, like you're going to see a lot of them show up, and you're not going to be surprised because they're just a very powerful card. Like If you're playing a plus one, plus one counters deck, there are a lot of cards in this set that you can, you can put into your your cards, and you're not going to be wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here for a whole bunch of different strategies, not just landfall, even though that's what we all associate Zendikar with. Yeah, I big thumbs up from all of us for sure. The data is really enchanting to look at. I'm I'm all about this, but I think we've been talking about Zendikar for a while, so I'm gonna have my own personal moment of Zen. Dakar by closing out this show because I think that's what we got to do. We got to call this episode to a close. So, fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find you all? Matt? So, you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M A T H I M U S 55. You can also catch us Wednesday evenings, twitch.tv slash EDH Recast. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast once a week, CMDR Central. You can find my articles at EDH Rec. And you can find all of us at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDH Recast both on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you want to get in touch with us, if you've got a question or some keen insight to EDH Rex data, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks once again to Josh Lequai and the entire team at the Command Zone. They handle the post-production work of the podcast, making it look as awesome as it does. And of course, we have to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com are our sponsors. You can find them using the price info links on EDH Rec, or you can visit CardKingdom.com slash EDH Rec, and that shows your support for the show. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Wreck your deck.